Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. This weekend, I was talking to a friend about courage. And I was telling him that courage is a missing virtue in our culture today. Courage is a missing virtue in our culture. Today, people have internet courage. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They got internet courage. They want to blow you up or say something to you. You know, boom. And they want to send you, you know, they want to to tell you what they want to tell you. Look, I'm just talking to Christians. Christians don't be like that. People got internet courage, you know, they're going to blow you up on an email, tell you what they got to tell you on email or through a text message or on Facebook. You know, the internet is good, but it is not for that reason. And especially for Christians, some Christians, clap your hands and say amen, only the Christians. Uh Uh-huh. It ain't for that reason. It ain't for that reason. If you got something to say to somebody, the Bible says in Matthew 18, go to them. I don't care if you're eight or 80. Learn to be a man and go to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only half of y'all clapping. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Go to them. And I'm talking to Christians right now because it's right, number one. Number two is biblical. You got an art against your brother, you have something to say, don't send him that internet courage. Yeah, you can sit behind your keyboard and say all you want to say. And no repercussions, nobody gonna say nothing back. And all, you know, I don't even entertain that kind of stuff. You send something to me that's blowing me up, I'm not gonna even respond. I don't have time for that. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm too old for that. My birthday is Friday, and I ain't got nothing. I'm too old for that. <laughs> A shameless plug. Shameless plug. You shame on yourself. No, you don't. You go to them. Jesus, he stepped forward and he said, who are you seeking? Matthew, write it down. Matthew 26, 48. Mark 14, 44. Luke 22, 48. All tell us Judas kissed Jesus which tell us that tells us that Jesus didn't stand in the stand out in the crowd. Judas identified him with a kiss. Jesus didn't stand out in the crowd. Judas didn't say, well, you'll know Jesus because he's the one that uh, is glowing. He'll stand out. Or you'll know Jesus because he's the one with angelic music playing around him in stereo. You'll, you'll be able to pick Jesus out. Or you'll know Jesus because he's the pleasant-looking one. Judas didn't say that. Or you'll know Jesus because he's the one wearing special clothing. You know, the clergy collar, the robe, you know, the robe. I don't wear a robe. For those of you that are new here, I don't wear a robe. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even own a robe. Although I will be honest with you and tell you, I, I would like to have a robe actually. I don't know why. I just want one. I remember one time I was doing this um, service because they just look kind of cool. I, can y'all imagine me coming out here in a robe? <laughs> I come out here like this. Right. <laughs> so I was doing this wedding this one time, and this, this guy, uh, the father of the uh, groom, um, this is a huge, elaborate wedding. I mean, there are more flowers at this wedding than I have ever seen. You needed a weed whacker to get in the front door. I'm not kidding you. They have flowers coming out the door. There's flowers going all the way down the line. There's flowers everywhere. This, it was just a huge, huge kind of high church wedding. They obviously didn't have it here at Calvary Chapel. It was at another location. And uh, so the father wanted me to wear a robe because it was kind of like a high church, you know, wedding and traditional wedding. He wanted me to wear a robe. And I said, well, if you want me to wear a robe, then you're going to have to provide the robe because I don't own a robe. So he said, "Okay." So he gets me this robe. And and, and it, it was a beautiful robe. It was crushed velvet and it was beautiful. It fit me perfectly. Um, I, I look good. God knows I look good in that robe. So I had a robe on, and from then on, I, I've been wanting, wanting the robe. Of course, I would have no place to wear it, but I, I still, I, I, I want a robe. But Jesus, you couldn't identify Jesus in a crowd. You, he wasn't wearing a robe or a clergy collar or something that you can point Jesus out. So Judas needed to identify Jesus to these guys with a kiss. Put the stories together. Matthew 26 says, at this time, Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? I find that interesting. Jesus called Judas a friend. I can think of a lot of other names to call him. You vilest of mankind. You son of perdition. You kissing thief, you backstabbing betrayer, you Benedict Arnold. Jesus called him a friend. God is gracious. Somebody say amen. God is gracious. And Jesus called him a friend. And I think Jesus is giving him an opportunity to repent. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, Jesus endured the kiss of Judas. But do you know what? Jesus has been enduring millions of kisses since then. People who say on Sunday morning, who worship him and raise their hands to him and sing, you know, anybody here who's been through trials, anybody here, say amen, whatever that goes, say amen, amen. When you worship God and you lift your hands to God and you you sing to the Lord and then Monday you go and, and do whatever, and Tuesday, whatever, and then Saturday comes and you go wherever, uh, with whomever, where you need not be. And then Monday you come to church. Anybody here who's seen this fight? Anybody here? Don't you understand that you are kissing Jesus on Sunday and, 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 and betraying him Monday through Saturday? Did you pick that up? And betraying him Monday through Saturday. Jesus' face is polluted with betrayal kisses 
every day for 2,000 years. Well, verse 5 and 6, Jesus asked, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice they sound like they're just rattling off orders. They, they, they seem uh, uh, commissioned to get Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 5, Jesus said, I am, and the he, look in your Bibles, is in italics. That means it wasn't in the original manuscripts. It was added there for easy read. So Jesus just said, I am. Ego emi. Ego emi. E G Greek. E G O I M A. Ego emi. That statement is a statement of deity. No one used that statement in Jesus' day. I am. Jesus, on the other hand, continually used that statement when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door which leads to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus, the next time somebody tells you Jesus never claimed to be God, you tell them, yes, he did. Every time he said, I am, that was a declaration of deity. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And when he said that, they all fell backwards. Now, I've read some commentaries that say that when they fell backwards, that they were slain in the spirit. And some churches today um, believe that you can be slain in the spirit. In other words, the spirit of God, come, anybody know what I'm talking about with slain in the spirit? All right. All right. All right. Then some of y'all know, some of you don't. That means that you are so overcome by the presence of the Holy Spirit that you just kind of fall out, uh, in the spirit and you're just laying there in the spirit. And I don't know about the white churches, but I know in the black church, then you have some lady come with the, with the, with the, y'all know what, where my people at? Y'all know, I know what I'm talking about. And, and you, the lady come over and she throw the thing over you. Why? Because you, the skirt may go wherever, you never know. So they, they, throw the, they throw the thing over you, and you just lay there, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You're just slain in the Spirit. Listen, let me tell you something. The Bible does not say anywhere, nor is there any indication of this slain in the Spirit. Uh, that's emotionalism. Uh, that is charismaniac. Amen. Uh, 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 don't, get, don't get me wrong. I believe in emotion. When the Spirit of God touches you, sometimes you just got to raise your hand and thank you, Jesus. And sometimes the Spirit touches you and you just got to cry. And sometimes the Spirit touches you and maybe you have the gift of tongues and we're going to talk about gifts when we're done with here. But you might just speak in the tongue. Yeah, volume, you don't have to be all up here when you speak in tongues. I can't wait to get there. You can speak in tongues just sitting right there doing worship. You can speak in tongues and pray to the Father. You, you, you don't, but charismaniac, amen, y'all pray for me. You know, you, you're doing all these things in emotionalism and slain in the spirit is not in the Bible. Now, slain by the spirit is in the Bible. I think of the Assyrians, 2 Kings chapter 19, 185,000 Assyrians were slain by the Spirit. I think of uh, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit and they were dead. So slain by the Spirit means you are dead. When you fall down, you ain't getting up. 
Huh? Say amen, my people. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus said, I am he, and they all fell backward, and I need a DVD. Half of them, get, get, get this, half of them are on the ground. Remember, they've got torches, they've got clubs, they've got lanterns, they've got weapons, and they went down. They've got torches, there's open fire. Who knows? I need a DVD. I didn't see that. Maybe something caught fire, someone caught, it might just pandemonium. We don't know, mayhem. In verse 7, they're trying to pull themselves together, and Jesus asked them again, who did you come for? And at that time, I would have said, nobody. <laughs> I would have said, nobody. I would have said, you know what? I was just walking along. I saw all y'all in here. I just want to see what's going on. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, what are you dressed like that for? You got what's the torch and the clubs and all that and the uniforms and the soldier? Oh, this is just my uh, special clothing. I just uh, I just uh, dress like this. I mean, I've come for nothing. Jesus said, "Who did you come for?" And they said, "Jesus of Nazareth," because they are under orders. In verse eight, look at it. Jesus said, "I told you, I am." And I bet you when he said, I am, because notice they fell backward after he said he. Uh, They probably said, no, don't say it, don't say it, he. (laughs) Therefore, you who seek me, let these disciples go their way. They say, okay, verse 9, that the scriptures might be fulfilled of those you gave me. I have lost none. He said the same thing in chapter 17, verse 12. Write that down. But that was in the spiritual context. Now he's saying, I haven't lost any in a physical context because Jesus knows if things get violent and the disciples might be hurt or they might be captured and 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 and, and if we learned anything about Jesus we learned that he is the good shepherd somebody say amen and a good shepherd takes care of his flock and Jesus is making sure the disciples were protected and that he was only the only one arrested in verse 10 you got to get the backstory of verse 10 then Simon Peter look at verse 10 look at verse 10 if you're looking at verse 10 say I'm looking at him Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cut off the right ear of Malchus. Now, the backstory is in Matthew 26, verse 40, 41. Jesus told them to watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. And later, while praying, Jesus looks across the garden. The disciples are asleep, not praying, knocked out. Jesus said, couldn't you guys stay awake for one hour? So get the scene. The detachment shows up. The disciples are sleeping. Peter wakes up and doesn't know what's going on. Still groggy. Verse 10 says, Simon having a sword. Peter half asleep, pulls out and cuts. Remember, there's no street lights. So it is pitch black out there. So if you're sleeping out there and here comes these torches and all of these soldiers and all, and when you, if you wake up, especially if Peter was in a deep sleep, he might have been in that good sleep. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That good sleep, baby. You just, oof, you are one with the mattress. Good sleep. That's good sleep. He woke up. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whew. I mean, Peter is like, you know what? Shoot and then ask questions. That's, that's Peter. And he cut off Malchus' ear. And you got to love Peter. You got to love him. The Gospels, listen. The other Gospels were written 40 to 50 years before this, and they don't name Peter as the one who cut off the high priest's servant's ear. 
But John tells us because at this time of the writing, Peter is dead. And Peter had already been crucified upside down. John doesn't need to protect him anymore. Tradition tells us Peter was an older, big, burly guy. John 21, the disciples are out fishing. You know the story. And they've been fishing all night. They ain't caught anything. And Jesus said, uh, y'all been fishing all night. Y'all ain't caught nothing. They said, no, we ain't caught nothing. Jesus said, throw the, throw the net on the other side. Throw it on the right side. They threw the net on the right side and they couldn't get the fish on the, in, in the boat. There were so many they, on the right side of the boat. God thing. They couldn't get the net in the boat. So John says, it's the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Peter jumps in the water in his underwear, gets to the other side of the shore, wakes up or walks up and he, and he pulls the whole net into the boat by himself. So Peter is, uh, the disciples were trying to do it all together. Peter did it all by himself. So Peter is a big guy. You don't want this big guy swinging a sword. Somebody say amen. Luke 22 verse 51 tells us the Lord touched Malchus' ear and healed it. Now, we're not sure what that means. Did Jesus grow another ear and give him that ear to put on a keychain for keepsake? I don't know. Did Jesus put the ear back on? We don't know. But it is interesting. Listen, the healing of Malchus' ear was Jesus' last earthly. Write this down. The healing of Malchus' ear was Jesus' last earthly miracle. And think about it. Jesus' last earthly miracle was healing someone who was wounded by an impetuous disciple using a sword. This is probably the miracle that Jesus does most. This is probably the miracle that Jesus does every day. A lot of well-meaning Christians unsheathe their Bibles and start whacking the body of Christ. Remember, Jesus didn't come as a soldier to whack. He came as a savior to save. And to heal. And, and he didn't beat people up with the word. Jesus used his words to speak life and to speak healing and to speak hope with people. Am I right about that? Life and healing and hope. He didn't come to whack people. Some of y'all Christians need to stop it. What well, word of God say this? Word of God say that? The word of God say this? How about some love? How about people don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? Stop it. Love on people. And use the word of God to help you to love on people and to give you wisdom and how to love on them and wisdom and how to talk to them and wisdom and how to instruct them in their situation, that will draw them to the things of God. That will draw them to you. And then you can say, hey, come go to church with me. And then they hear the word of God, and then they say, you know what? I need to start getting my life together. Don't be so quick to unsheathe your Bible and whack somebody. But it's interesting. Somebody say amen. Jesus does a miracle right in front. Isn't this interesting? He does a miracle right in front of unbelievers who had come with clubs and lanterns to arrest him, and they don't fall down to worship. Isn't that interesting? Two things, I think. Number one, seeing miracles don't cause or inspire belief. Somebody say amen. And number two, sin blinds the mind and sin blinds intelligent reason. Verse 11, Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I drink the cup which my father has given me? 
Now, Matthew 26, Jesus then says, if you live by the sword, anybody know? You'll die by the sword. But note this. Jesus said, put your sword away. Shall I drink the cup? Now, saints, I'm going to try to go through this as quick, but precisely as I possibly can. This cup, the cup is very important in scripture. It's a very important word. Write it down. Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and the wine is red. It is fully mixed and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. Jeremiah 25, 15. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take this cup, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. Isaiah 51, 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord, the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it. Revelation 10, 14, 10. Revelation 14, 19, all talk about the cup of indignation or the cup of God's wrath. This cup is a big deal in scripture. The cup is a figure of speech in the Bible. Whenever God is bringing judgment to a nation, he brings it in the form of a cup. The idea is that God is bringing a cup of full, full of fury, and he offers it to the nations. God says, here, take it. This is my wrath, and you got to drink it. And not only do you have to drink it, but you got to drain the cup to the bottom that the dregs of the cup might be consumed. Are you with me? Here in our text, this cup, Jesus had agonized over this cup. Jesus didn't agonize over the beating. Don't get that twisted. Jesus didn't agonize over the scourging. Don't get that twisted. Jesus agonized over the cup of the wrath of God as he would become the sin bearer, as Jesus would hang on the cross on the tree for our sins and God the Father would pour the cup of his wrath upon his son so we wouldn't have to experience that cup and drink it to its dregs. And that's why Jesus prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this what cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When Jesus said this, he saw the hand of God stretched out, handing him a cup that was foaming and frothing with the wrath of God. And the father said, this is for you, son. Drink it. Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way for the world to be saved other than for me to drink that cup, let's go with that. But there is no other way. Jesus took the cup and drank it to his dregs and he drained it. It was God's cup of fury. And that is why, listen, I'm coming in for a landing. And that is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus drank the cup to its dregs. Jesus said, Father, don't y'all understand this? Jesus did not want to go to the cross. Don't get that wrong. He did not want to go to the cross. He didn't want to go to the cross. Who would? He did not want to go to the cross. He said it himself. 
Father, if there's any other way that man can be saved, well, then let's go with that. But for the very fact that he did go to the cross is proof positive to us that there is no other way for man to be saved. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he means he is the only way and the only truth and the only life and no man, not no somebody can get to heaven unless they go through Jesus because he drank the cup to his dregs. And so much so, he knew. Sweat great drops of blood. He knew. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. But he went and he drank so you could go and you don't have to drink. Are you glad about it? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.